0: Thanks for joining us at Keys for SLPs, opening new doors for speech-language pathologists to better serve clients throughout the lifespan. A weekly audio course and podcast from SpeechTherapyPD.com. I'm your host, Mary Beth Hines, a curious SLP who embraces lifelong learning. Keys for SLPs brings you experts in the field of speech-language pathology, as well as collaborative professionals, patients, and caregivers. To discuss therapy strategies, research, challenges, triumphs, and career opportunities. Engage with a range of practitioners from young innovators to pioneers in the field as we discuss a variety of topics to help the inspired clinician thrive. Each episode of Keys for SLPs has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com available for point 0.1 ASHA CEUs, We are offering an audio course subscription special coupon code to listeners of this podcast. Type the word KEYS for $20 off. With hundreds of audio courses on demand and new courses released weekly, it's only $59 per year with the code word KEYS. Visit SpeechTherapyPD.com and start earning ASHA CEUs today. Welcome to this episode of Keys for SLPs, Keys to Accent Modification. I am your host, Mary Beth Hines. Before we get started, we have a few items to mention. As a reminder, if you are joining us for this live course and your state license requires live CEUs, be sure to complete all course modules, including the one that says quiz, but before the end of the day today on your speechtherapypd.com account. We encourage questions from our participants. You can put your questions in the chat box or the Q&A box for our guests to answer. And here are the financial and non-financial disclosures. I am the host of Keys for SLPs and receive compensation from SpeechTherapyPD.com. No relevant non-financial disclosures exist. Carrie Lynn works for George Washington University as a clinical supervisor, adjunct professor, and outreach coordinator. She authored Speaking with an American Accent: A Guide to General American English Pronunciation, which she receives royalties from the sale of it. Carrie owns her own private practice, Global Speech Therapy LLC. She has received compensation from speechtherapypd.com for numerous presentations. No relevant non-financial relationships exist. And now we welcome our guest today, Carrie Lim, MS CCC SLP, a speech language pathologist with over 15 years of experience in a wide range of clinical settings, including home health, telehealth, public schools, private practice, hospitals, and academia. Carrie specializes in accent modification, public speaking, autism, language development, and international collaboration. We are so happy to have Carrie here today on Keys for SLPs to discuss therapy for accent modification. Welcome, Carrie.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mary Beth. I'm honored to be here.
0: Well, we're so excited to have you. So, tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey as an SLP, and how you came to specialize in accent modification.
1: Well, as you can tell from my background, I love trying new things, and I think it's great that our profession leans itself towards that. I've worked in many different settings. I'm very passionate about globalization, so I've had the opportunity to work in several countries in many capacities. I've worked in Nepal, Mexico, Cambodia, Zambia, Ghana, and Guyana. And then I also am starting to work on more creative projects. I just finished my book. And after that, I'm focusing on blogging. My blog is on my website, globalspeechtherapy.com. I also am a seller on Teachers Pay Teachers, which is a lot of fun creating projects and learning more about what other people are doing. And then I just recently started a TikTok channel. Right now I'm focusing on accent modification, but you know, just trying to have a lot of fun with that as well.
0: Wow, so you have a lot going on. So interesting with your Teachers Pay Teachers. Do you have accent modification materials on Teachers Pay Teachers, or is that for someone else? I other do. Therapy?
1: Yeah, I do have a few things on there that are also within the book as well. There's a screener, an assessment, and some other materials. And then primarily, I do a lot with speech and language evaluations. So I do have a lot of report templates. Those are primarily for pediatrics.
0: Okay, great, great. All right, so today we're going to talk about accent modification, but before we dive in, I would like to differentiate the difference between accent and dialect.
1: Yes, great question. These are often used interchangeably, but technically there is a difference. Simply put, accent is how a group of people pronounce sounds or words. So for example, British English versus American English. A dialect is a little bit more, it's the vocabulary and grammar, often within a country. So in the U.S., we have about 24 different regional dialects. And so this an example of this would be, you know, in the North, people might call the thing on wheels at the grocery store a cart or a carriage. And in the South, they might refer to it as a buggy.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you for that clarification. So tonight, we're not talking about dialect modification. We're talking about accent modification. All right. So, will you touch upon the need for accent modification and the unique strengths of SLPs to work with people who seek accent modification?
1: Definitely. So, people seek out accent modification for a variety of reasons. Most of the time, being professional, maybe they want to advance in their career or personal, they just have a desire to sound more native or. They feel like they're asked to repeat themselves a lot, and they want to try to decrease that. Some clients have social goals as well. You know, when clients move here from another country, they're not just learning a language or an accent. They're also learning the culture and how to best fit in with, you know, the people around them, meet new people, understand slang and idiom and humor, and how to use that. They might also have academic goals. So I'm at a university and we have a clinic on campus. So a lot of our clients are TAs or teaching assistants or research assistants. A lot of them have an upcoming thesis or big presentation to give as well. So there's a wide variety. And, you know, a lot of clients, once they learn or sorry, once they move here, they realize that the pronunciation piece wasn't a big part of their language learning. Maybe they focus more on the vocabulary or the grammar. And so they really do want to learn that pronunciation piece as well.
0: Okay. And why do you think that is? Why do you think that the pronunciation is of English specifically is not a big part of their language
1: learning? I think a lot of times it has to do with the instructors. So there is a little bit of research to show that non-native speaker instructors tend to be really good at the grammatical piece, whereas native instructors actually aren't the best with grammar, but they're better at pronunciation. Because as native speakers, you know, we learn language through play and just listening and modeling and imitating, and so we're not focusing on those grammatical rules. And clients stump me all the time, you know, we'll be in the middle of something, and they'll ask a great question, like, when do you say the versus that? Or when you say fish versus fishes, things that I've never thought about, until I actually researched it after the client asked me and realized there's actually rules for these. Yeah,
0: that is interesting. I did not know there was a rule for the versus the I thought it was more of a personal preference. Do you remember
1: what the rule is? So I've seen it written both ways, to be honest. So ultimately, it is a personal preference, and it's not really going to impact intelligibility at all. So the rule has to do with whether the word that comes after the starts with a consonant or a vowel. So a lot of times people, if it starts with a vowel, they'll say the. If it starts with a consonant, they'll say the. However, like I said, I have seen it written both ways.
0: <laughs> okay, very, very interesting. Yeah. Okay, so why would you say that SLPs are kind of uniquely poised to work with accent modification?
1: I think we have a lot of great skills. We also have a very trained ear. So we're able to understand the difference in sounds and isolation versus words and then connected speech, which of course is the ultimate goal for our clients. We understand speech sound development. We also understand language development. And expressive and receptive language for our clients as well. And so pulling all that together, we're able to understand how to teach sounds, how to elicit those sounds for our clients, and how to put it together in what we call the super-segmentals. So working on things like intonation, raising or lowering your pitch, syllable stress, word linking. So linking all of our words together instead of saying each word separately and individually. So we're able to understand all of that as well as be able to help our clients see the full picture. And like I said, in working towards, you know, that ultimate goal, which is sounding a little bit more native in conversation.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then when you say sounding a little bit more native in conversation, that is the ultimate goal that your clients bring to the therapy room.
1: It is. Yes. And I should clarify that there is research to show that if one learns a language after the age of 12, they most likely will have a non-native accent. So sounding native um, is a goal for a lot of clients. It's not usually achievable. Of course, there are people who are unique, you know, very advanced. But for the most part, you know, it's just working on specific sounds that they want to work on or working on other things that give English the melody and helping the client become more proficient at communicating.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. And can you tell us what Asha's stance is on accent modification as far as this is within our scope of practice?
1: they're a big proponent for it. They actually just recently updated the practice portal for accent modification. So I encourage everyone just Google ASHA professional portal accent modification. There's lots and lots of great resources out there. They pull together a lot of great articles and books, but they do say that it's within our scope. It actually fits under, you know, within our scope, we have, you know, impacting the well-being of others and that's what it falls underneath. So it's not a disorder. It is a difference, but it is helping people improve their quality quality. quality of life and improving their well-being by having access to the service.
0: Okay. Okay. Do you know off the top of your head how long it has been within the scope of practice?
1: Yes, I did read this. I want to say since the 70s or 80s, it's been a part. But I would say, you know, within the last 20, maybe 30 years, it's becoming more and more popular.
0: Okay. Why do you think that is?
1: I think just as everything is changing and evolving, you know, we're moving everything online. English is the most spoken language in the world by native and non-native speakers, so it definitely doesn't have the most native speakers, but it has the most native and non-native speakers, and most of the business transactions are done in English. And so, you know, clients are working with you know people all over the world. They want to become more proficient in speaking English. Maybe they didn't learn English until later on in life. And they're just looking for new skills. And so I think with, you know, that mindset and that desire, there's people are seeking it out more. There's more of a need.
0: Okay, great. Is there any, and is that kind of across the board or is that more, are are you seeing native speakers of many different languages or are, are there some specific languages that you're seeing more of than others?
1: I would definitely say across the board. Yep. So regardless of someone's native language, you know, once they feel like they either personally want to work on their English skills or professionally, they have goals, then they seek out.
0: Okay. Okay, great. All right. So you've been working in accent modification for about five years. Is that right? which is really very exciting because you are such an expert, you know, within our field in this area. So to think that you've only been working in this area for five years is really exciting. So how did you decide to go into this area?
1: So as I mentioned earlier, I love variety, I love trying something new. And so I have been in academia for 10 years now. But about five years ago, you know, I worked in pretty much Every setting and the university that I'm at, there was an opportunity to move into accent modification. And I thought, well, that's one thing I haven't done yet. And I'm really interested in doing that. And so honestly, just because I wanted to try something new, and the opportunity arose. And so I dove in feet first. And a big inspiration for writing my book was being able to compile everything that I've learned and read over the years into one place. Because I think there's still a huge need for more resources out there, more research in the area as well. Because there's research out there to show that accent modification is effective. But there's not a lot about like one specific or any specific technique that people are using. People are kind of you know, using whatever background they have because because it can be done by anyone. It's not a skilled service. So, you know, people in theater are doing it, or linguists, or anyone who's just interested in languages. So, you know, I loved learning everything I could, and I'm certainly still learning about it, but ultimately I got into it just to try something new.
0: Okay. That's very interesting. That's a good point that so many other professionals are skilled at this. So if speech language pathologists don't do it, other people will. So it's great that it is within our scope of practice. Yeah, yeah, that is, that is interesting. Now, is there an SLP or an ASHA certification in accent modification?
1: Not specific to SLP. There are a few programs out there that offer courses specific to their techniques that sometimes people go through. Sometimes they're a little bit more prescribed and people like that. For me, I found the most benefit in taking courses myself to learn an accent or dialect and to see how other professions you know, taught those skills and also to see what it was like to be a client <laughs> in their shoes.
0: Okay, so that's great. So what class did you take? Were you learning accent modification in another language?
1: No, so it was not English, but I did learn a few dialects and accents. So I learned a few British English dialects. Well, I didn't learn it. I attempted. <laughs> I took classes in British English dialects, and then Arabic and Spanish.
0: Okay, interesting. It's very hard. <laughs> very hard. Okay, so you were learning English. Well, you know English, but you were learning to use an Arabic accent in English.
1: Yeah, so it's all about learning what the patterns are. So each language has its own melody, you know, its own rhythm, kind of its own song, if you will. And so just learning, you know, what that is for another language, and then what are the sounds that they have? What are the sounds that they don't have that we have in English and how are those often substituted or differentiated?
0: Well, that's great. So of the ones that you took, which one was the hardest to learn?
1: I think the Arabic one. <laughs>
0: Okay. Okay, very interesting. Yep. So is that something that you recommend to other SLPs to do?
1: I think if you have the chance and the time, definitely. You know, like I said, it's interesting to see how other people are doing it, and it's also really humbling, you know, to be in the client's perspective. It's it's a lot, you know, and our clients are very Motivated. I think it takes a lot to pick up and move to another country, especially another country that speaks a completely different language. And, you know, to go through everything that they've gone through and then to have this personal and professional goal that they're working towards is, is truly motivating.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it is truly amazing to think what some of our clients go through before they come to us. Now, when you took that course, did you, was it a one on one course or was it in a group setting?
1: So I worked with two different instructors. One was one-on-one, and then the other was small group.
0: Okay. And which one did you like better?
1: The one-on-one certainly was easier because you could get that direct feedback. The group, of course, is a little bit more challenging because... I mean, it's good because you also have your peers to model, but then of course you're comparing yourself to your peers <laughs> and you're thinking, okay, I'm not like them. Yeah. So I did like that one-on-one feedback, you know, and they could certainly tailor things in the moment to me based on what I was hearing, what I was producing.
0: Okay. So out of curiosity, the other people in the group, why were they, that they were Native American English speakers, why were they taking the accent modification course to learn English in other accents?
1: Most of them had some sort of theater background. So a few of them were, they did voiceover work. Some of them were just in theater or, you know, working on film. And so they just wanted to add that to the repertoire. And I think there was one other person who was just taking it out of their own personal interest.
0: Okay. Okay. That's what I figured, but I was just curious as to see why. All right. So let's talk about some of the techniques that you use with accent modification. So I imagine, you know, before we get into the techniques, I imagine um, someone comes to you seeking the services and the first thing you do is an evaluation. Can you talk a little bit about the evaluation before we hop into the techniques?
1: Yeah, so I start with the evaluation. It works best in my setting because I am working with graduate clinicians as well. A lot of people do skip this completely or it might be, you know, just a 5-minute conversation to, you know, get a feel for the melody of their native language, what are the sounds that they have or don't have compared to English, things like that. My evaluation is, you know, about a full hour just to get to know the client and, you know, it's having them read a variety of materials. I'm listening for The sounds that they're producing or any substitutions. I'm listening for word linking, intonation, syllable stress. And of course they're pragmatics as well. So a lot of that does have to do with intercultural learning, you know, so just seeing what they're using compared to, you know, something in our culture. And so I do write up a report. I do also write formal goals for my clients, but like I said, a lot of people are able to bypass this. It's not something that you can build insurance for. And so a lot of times clients, you know, just might only have time or money for. Four or six sessions, and they don't want to take up you know one entire session for an evaluation.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, that that is interesting okay all right so with an evaluation either either a long one if you' have the opportunity to be in an academic setting and be or if you have a client who is planning to come for more sessions speaking of coming for more sessions some of your clients are kind of long-term clients at the university clinic can you touch upon that a little
1: bit yeah so because accent modification isn't a skilled service there's you know, uh, many professions who offer it, meaning there's a wide range of what people bill for it, what they charge for. And so at the university setting, we're able to have a sliding scale because our graduate clinicians are doing the work. You know, people on their in their own private practice might have to charge a little bit higher, but because we have that sliding scale... You know, it's it's a good deal for our clients, and so I have clients for five, six, seven years. They stay with us until they graduate. You know, and they're working on their masters and then their doctorate, so they're at the university for quite a while. So it's really cool. I I get super attached to them, and so by the time they graduate, you know, I'm like, no, you can't leave me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: When you have clients who are long term like that, I imagine you you kind of see a curve you know, initially they probably have the most uh, change in their, the most modification of their accent, but do you see, I mean, you wouldn't keep them if they weren't improving. So I imagine they continuously improve.
1: Yeah. It's amazing to see the growth in some of them, you know, over two or three years for sure. And, you know, like I said, they're just completely different from where they started to where they are now. And it's, it's really neat to be a part of that. The other thing with accent modification is because, you know, you're not billing insurance and it is very elective, there's a gray area about when to dismiss somebody. So a lot of times I leave it up to the clients, you know, we can always find something to work on. and, And, you know, a lot of times they come to us and they want to work on very specific things and we'll find a way to work that in. But, you know, it's not as clear cut, I would say, in other settings as, you know, you've met this goal, it's time to move on. There is that big gray area with how long they stay.
0: Okay, interesting. Well, we've gone from evaluation all the way to dismissal and (laughs) so we digressed a little bit. We were we were gonna talk about techniques. So let's dive into some techniques.
1: Great. So if you were to tell me that you were gonna start with your first accent modification client tomorrow and you've never done it before, I would remind you to think about the melody of English and to remember the words smush and slash. So with my clients who are short on time or somebody who's just starting out, I like to work on the smushing. So as native English speakers, we smush all our words together. A lot of non-native speakers think that it's important to say each word and each sound in that word, you know, have a slight pause in between each word. And they think that it may be considered slang or even lazy if they don't do that. However, that's not what native English speakers do. We omit a lot of sounds and words in the speech. The other thing that we do is we substitute a schwa for as much as possible. So any vowel that's not in a syllable or word that's stressed, it becomes a schwa. So slash vowels as much as possible. Have the clients substitute the a sound, that schwa sound, in as many words as they possibly can.
0: When you first tell clients this, are they surprised?
1: Yes. Yep. And then they start to realize, they're like, oh, I have been saying every word, you know, or if you link two consonants together, like if you were to say good and day, which ends in D and starts with D, you're only saying that D sound once, you know, or in speak Spanish, you're only going to say that S sound once in the middle. And so, you know, once they hear that, they realize, oh, I am, I'm using too many sounds. I'm using too many words even. And it's okay to start to delete those.
0: Okay. Okay. Interesting. So they have that revelation and then i imagine if they're able to use that that their speech can change fairly quickly
1: yes yeah so there is a curve you know that we see in all of our clients where you know in the session they're able to make that change or they're able to hear it and then outside of the session they start to notice the differences but they're not able to make those changes and then gradually you know they're starting to self correct outside of the session and then report that back to us But as much as possible, we tell them, get lazy, get lazy with English.
0: (laughs) Smush and slash. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about your training and phonological awareness?
1: Yeah. So this is something that I think is fairly unique to speech therapists. We understand what phonological awareness is. It's just the ability to, you know, hear sounds and words, manipulate them, you know, change them to change the meaning of a word. And so with our clients, it's also training their ear. So that they can hear a difference in their production compared to native speakers, so they can hear and compare productions and other speakers that they're listening to as well. So I think this is a really critical piece, and I think this is something that is very unique to speech pathologists. And so our clients will say, you know, after a few weeks or a few months, that they're really starting to to hear, you know, how native speakers are saying something, and then starting to imitate that on their own. So with my clients, I do. You know, a lot of what you might do with other populations that we work with, I have them do negative practice. So saying two words, you know, the way they would and say their native accent versus the native English accent, or, you know, saying a sound substitution, and then the true sounds that we're working on. I do a lot of overcorrection as well. So getting them to hold out their target. So you know, a few minutes ago I mentioned the phrase "speak Spanish" and how we're only going to say that s sound in the middle part of that word once. So I might have them hold it out. It might sound like "speak Spanish." Just getting them to hear and feel how it's produced, and then also getting them to explain to me what does that feel like for you. Because I will say, you know, as speech therapists, we're able to elicit sounds or we're able to elicit targets, but it's going to feel and sound different for everyone. So. We also want our clients to be able to describe what that feels like for them in their mouth. Another thing that I do is also auditory discrimination. So, you know, myself or my clinicians will produce the target word or phrase or sentence with, um, you know, something that's related, something similar, and have them say, you know, which one is your target or which one is, you know, how are they different and start to getting, get them to compare and then again, of course, you know, start to listen for those differences that they might hear in other speakers.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. And so do you start at the sound level or the, or the word level or, or a phrase or, you know, where do you start?
1: Yeah. So it really depends on the goal. I sometimes think it is beneficial to start at the sound or word level for segmentals, for the consonants and vowels. For the other things, it's, it's better done in connected speech so you might start at phrases or sentences. But you know, if you're working with a client who whose native language doesn't have say the th sound or you know, even the American r, right? That's the hardest sound to teach. It's the last one to come in. We might for a while just start on, you know, the syllable level or, you know, the isolation level just for a brief moment of time. We're not going to stay there forever because we know that it's going to change over, you know, through connected speech. But I do think there is a benefit in the short term in in working on short utterances for direct teaching, and then of course, as quickly as possible, move up.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. And how about vocal dynamics, like you know, pitch, resonance, you know, rate of speech? Do you start with that? At what point do you introduce that? Or does or just does it depend upon the person?
1: I think it's something that you can introduce fairly early on. So, you know, in the first few sessions, you might just be focusing on shorter utterances, but you can still be dynamic with this, you know, so intonation, you can play around with even at the syllable level, you know, just have the client say, Oh, different ways, say it as if they're angry, or bored, or annoyed, or being sarcastic, you know, how does their pitch change and getting them to hear and feel, you know, well, if I say like, Oh, then maybe I'm surprised. If I say oh, then maybe I'm annoyed. And you know, how did your pitch change um, with volume? You know, getting them to play around with volume, saying something um, in a lower volume or a higher volume, or adding emotions to it, or even just changing up the rate of speech. So as much as possible, give your stimuli life. Um, make things a and A. So, you know, have the client read words and you respond to them as if, you know, you're having a conversation or you ask a question and the client responds using that target, that set of words that you're working on. So as much as possible, just add emotion, add life to your stimuli.
0: Well, that's great. Okay. Good advice. Now, do you find that the vowels are the hardest for clients who are seeking accent modification?
1: Yeah, um, it is tricky. It certainly depends on the client. I would say that vowels are one of the most tricky things that we do work on. And with this population, I would say it's one of the few populations that we focus on vowels with. English vowels are tricky because we have about three times the number of vowels as other languages do. So we have a lot of vowels. And because of that, there's only teeny tiny changes, you know, within tongue placement or height. And there's also more room for error for the clients. So what I focus on the most with my vowels is actually jaw height. So I teach the client, you know, those three grades, you know, closed mouth, middle or wide, and just having the client play around with jaw height. And I tell them, you know, if there's a word that you're having a hard time saying because of the vowel, just try opening or closing your jaw more. And I would say about 98% of the time, that helps them figure out the vowel pretty quickly.
0: Very interesting. Okay, that makes sense. All right. So how about the pragmatics? When you mentioned a few minutes ago that you, you know, do teach pragmatics directly? Are some of your clients surprised that the pragmatics in English are, in American English, are significantly different than their native language? Or do you find that most people kind of know that their pragmatics are different, but don't know how to change them?
1: Yeah. So pragmatics is a lot of fun to work on with clients and it's a great time to storytell as well for them. You know, so there might be a topic that we're talking about and, you know, how it's viewed in the U S and then that's a great time for them to say, you know, actually in, you know, my country, this is how we greet people or we shake hands or we don't shake hands or, you know, these are the rules around that. And, and personal space, personal space is really different across cultures. I found that I think in the U.S. that we're a little bit more standoffish than other cultures. But, you know, if you think about it, other countries might have more crowding than we do, you know. And so that's kind of where the rules of personal space come from. Maybe they don't have, you know, as much space to, to stand apart. And so yeah, then we talk totally. about, you know, if you're talking with somebody who's from the U.S. versus another country and, and, you know, they feel like you're infringing upon their personal space, they might take a step back. And then you find that you're moving forward and they're moving back. And then before they know it, they're against a wall. So we talk about some of those differences and where they may come from. And, you know, like I said, compare. It's, it's one of the really fascinating things about accent modification is learning about people and their con- their culture as well.
0: As you were talking about that, I was thinking about that. Like you have worked with, do you have any idea, have you counted how many different countries people have come from? You know, Your clients have come from? I mean...
1: Yeah, I haven't counted, but I have worked with them from all the continents, of course, except for Antarctica. But yeah, countries in in every continent out there.
0: So you must have a really rich understanding of other cultures.
1: (laughs) It's definitely a lifelong learning process, but it's definitely fascinating.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it, it sounds like it. So as far as personal space goes specifically are when you're working on personal space in communication, is that one area that people are surprised to understand kind of the rules of personal space in in American English? Or do they come to you in general just seeking to know what the answer, you know, what the norms are?
1: A lot of times they're surprised it's something that we address, you know, as part of accent modification, because again, we're also, you know, working on that intercultural learning. And so we talk about, you know, how we use personal space in different settings. So somebody that you really, really know very well. So a really close friend or family member, or even significant other versus a professional setting, you know, versus now post-COVID. But, you know, on the metro, I live in Washington, D.C. So, you know, on the metro versus, you know, being in a, in a say, a, a meeting. And there's, you know, 100 people around. What would personal space look like as the meeting room starts to fill up? So.
0: Well, that's such a good point with COVID. I think COVID has changed personal space in the United States, probably around the world in a a lot of different ways. I think we're still getting used to that in some situations.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: And then every time we have a spike in cases, then the personal space kind of starts over. If you think about it, just when you're in a store waiting in a line, you know, personal space now is very different than what it was two and a half years ago. Yes. (laughs) All right, so a lot to a lot to learn, a lot to discuss, and a lot to learn from our clients as well. So, how about um, topic introduction?
1: So, for our clients, you know, I think it's good to work on communication strategies in general, just like we would with any population that we're working with. And so, when it comes to accent modification, even though our clients are wanting to work on their skills, research does show that a lot of how they're perceived is actually based on the listener. But of course, we can't take in everyone that they're going to interact with across their life. We can only work on the speaker. But I think one of the strategies that's good for both the listener and the speaker is you know, not abruptly changing a topic. You know, if, if the speaker feels like they're asked to repeat themselves a lot, or say they're speaking on the phone that's when a lot of the visual cues are taken away from us and also your your voice can also change depending on what type of phone you're using you know introduce the topic first you know now i want to talk about xyz and then with that context clue you know the listener is going to be able to follow along a little bit better
0: okay good advice so any any other advice with visuals as far as whether you're inter- introducing the topic or just in general communication
1: Visuals and gestures are very important. You know, I think a lot of people joke, there's probably a lot of memes out there that they talk with their hands. And that's actually a good thing. Um, it really helps the listener, regardless of you know your native language status or where you are in the world. It, it's just helpful, you know. So if you can match your gestures to the meaning of the message, so if you're talking about like a little bit or a lot or you know increase or decrease, or if you're talking about numbers, you know one or three. So any sort of gesture that matches the the message is is super super helpful, and whether that's in person or online too. Um, It's really important to use gestures if you're on Zoom call. You know, you'll have to move them above your shoulders, but (laughs) it's still really important um, to help with those context clues.
0: Okay, good advice. Um, All right, and then as far as um, communicating on the phone, I know you have recommended sometimes following up in writing.
1: Yeah. And I think this is good for everyone, again, regardless of uh, your need of language or the setting that you're in, you know, following up in writing just to confirm what the conversation was about and to confirm what those next steps are. If you don't have the chance, you know, if you don't have the person's email or cell number that you can text, you know, restate what the purpose was, you know, what the topic was about, what the next steps are um, and any key points.
0: Okay. And that is probably good advice for um, both the non-native speaker of American English as well as um, the native speaker. So another thing that we do all the time when we're speaking to each other is restate. Um, But that is something that you directly um, teach to people who are uh, seeking accent modification. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I think it's, you know, just another important communication strategy that we can use in any setting that we're working with. Um, But just reminding our clients, you know, to restate if, you know, they're the speaker communicating the message, you know, to restate what those key points are, to restate what the next steps are. Um, If they're the listener, of course, restating back um, what the next steps are, what the key points are, just to confirm, you know, that everyone is on the same page.
0: Okay, good advice. And um, along those lines, um, so you are working with people who are coming to you to seek accent modification. But another good communication strategy is teaching some of these uh, strategies to um, the listeners and the native speakers. So do you, when you're working with non-native speakers, do you directly um, teach them to kind of train their listeners?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of times they do go on and they share the strategies that they've learned. Um, Of course, it's going to vary based on the setting that they're in or, you know, how they feel the most comfortable. But I think, you know, by them using a lot of these strategies, they're able to show people that it it works. You know, for example, um, 13 and 30, they sound very similar. So, you know, it's always a good idea, especially if someone's in the medical setting, just to follow up and say, you know, that was 13 versus 30.
0: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Another one is 15 and 50. So speaking of the medical setting, do you um, have clients from the medical setting um, at the university?
1: Yep, I do. Um, Pre-COVID, we were also doing workshops with our medical school. Um, We do have a a big medical school on campus. So we were running workshops annually with them. Um, Since COVID, you know, they're a little busy right now. So that's on hold. Um, And then we do have a few private clients who are in the medical community as well.
0: Okay, excellent. Are their goals a little bit different than um, people outside of the medical setting?
1: No, so it'd be very similar, but with all of your clients, you want to individualize the material as much as possible. So, you know, with our medical professionals, the vocabulary that we're working on, the stimuli that we're working on might be more specific, you know, to their setting. Whereas if we're working on, um, you know, we have a lot of students who are in the, in the engineering program. So we're working on a lot of vocabulary with them that's very specific to their program. Um, and you don't have to know what all the words mean. <laughs> you don't have to know. You don't even have to know how to pronounce them. Thankfully, there's Google. <laughs> and you know google has a little button that will read it out for you
0: okay okay yeah so you're you're getting quite an education in a lot of different areas yourself such an interesting area to work in All right. So I'm sure that our listeners interest has been piqued um, by this conversation. So can you give us some advice uh, to SLPs who are seeking to learn more about accent modification who subscribe to speechtherapypd.com and we're coming up on the summer. So this might be something that um, people are interested in learning about um, during their summer break. Um, So what advice can you give um, and along those lines, you, um, I'm just going to give you a plug right now because it, it is, um, it fits right here. Um, you have a big workshop through SpeechTherapyPD.com this summer, don't you?
1: Yes. Yes. Um, it's a self-paced course that is linked to my book. Um, so you can purchase the book and read it at your own pace. And then at the end, you get CEs for it.
0: Okay. Okay. I saw that that was on June 30th. So is that when the course is being released?
1: I think so. I think so. I do have the webinar coming up, I think, around June 2nd, and the okay. course is being released at the end of June. Okay. Okay. Yep. All and right. everything in the book, the book is written um, in chronological order based on either the assessment, starting with the assessment, and then all the way through introducing topics. I work on short utterances and long. And so it's just a combination of everything that I wish I knew, and it's, it's a great cookbook for any clinician who's getting started. And they can pull off the shelves and figure out where to start.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, so you created that resource because you found that it was needed. Are there, you know, it's, it's it's been around as a, within our scope of practice since the seventies or eighties. So are, are there a lot of other books on the topic, but just not one, just not one that, you know, fit everything that you wanted, or are there not a lot of publications?
1: There aren't a lot that I found, um, especially specific to speech language pathology. Um, and the areas that, you know, we can really focus on. Um, I mean, there's a few out there. I found some kind of more antiquated ones that were, you know, on teaching English, or a lot of them really are more on, you know, teaching English and not the pronunciation piece. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of articles out there, again, not specific to speech language pathology. um, But there are several on pronunciation and, you know, again, accent modification being effective, but not specific techniques. Um, And then the ASHA practice portal has a lot of great information now.
0: Okay, excellent. All right. So um, tell us your advice.
1: (laughs) So if you want to get started with accent modification, just jump in feet first. Um, You know, as SLPs, you know, I think we all like to have all our little ducks in a row and um, read up on everything. But I think it just really benefits everyone to jump in feet first. And you learn so much about what you like and what you don't like. If you have the opportunity, you know, take classes yourself to learn an accent or dialect so you can see how other professions are doing it. Um, there's a lot on YouTube and TikTok out there. But again, you want to learn what you like and what you don't like. You'll start to see some patterns um, for from, the, from a, some of the big names out there. Um, but just jump in. Sometimes finding your first client can be the hardest though. Um, so, you know, you can try reaching out to a local community college. I have taught some courses here in the DC area. That's actually how I've gotten a few more clients at our clinic, um, was through the community college, um, phone centers are big, you know, a lot of times, All that is done in English, but they're actually living abroad. So, trying to network with a phone center. There is a Facebook page for SLPs and accent modification. They have some ideas too for getting your clients. And every now and then, they'll also post, you know, saying they have a new referral they're not able to take. Is someone else interested? So, just jump in.
0: (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, Good advice. So, okay. How about um, the Corporate Speech Pathology
1: Network? It's a fabulous resource. So it is a membership. It's very low. I can't remember how much it is. It's an annual membership, but um, it's filled with SLPs who do Corporate speech pathology. You know, so they do work on professional speaking. They work on accent modification. They do networking events about twice a month, and all of those are recorded. So their video library alone is amazing. Um, and sometimes in my downtime, I'll just start watching those videos two or three times each. You know, they they bring in lots of great guest speakers with a wide variety of backgrounds and specialties. Um, so it's a goldmine of information.
0: Excellent, excellent. And so is that. Um... Do they actually meet in person or is it more of a a video online resource?
1: All online. So you can join live, but if not, you know, it's all recorded. So you have that video library.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. So let's say we have someone who has followed all of your advice And now they need to work with their first client, but they have to find their first client. So um, you mentioned the community college, and of course, you're um, at an academic setting. So for someone who is in a non-academic setting, what might you suggest to find your very first accent modification client?
1: (laughs) Um, LinkedIn is another good one. Um, You know, you can start to promote yourself that way. Um, reaching out through Facebook pages, you know, letting people know that you're interested in in getting started in this. Some people, too, also start with their friends who want to work on accent modification just so they'll start to get some experience that way. Um, And really just being creative. Um, Think more global, you know, not just the community that you're in, but, you know, how can you access people across your state or, you know, like I said, online um, and just start networking that way. It, it's tricky, though. It can be really tough.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so that brings up a question. Insurance companies will not pay for accent modification. Um, several different professionals can work in accent modification. Um, so does an SLP need a license in the state where, where the client is for accent modification?
1: So that is a great question, one of many debates. So, I believe the rule is if you are just doing accent modification and you're not practicing as a speech language pathologist, then licensing isn't applicable to you, to you. But if you're promoting yourself as a speech language pathologist, if you're working on, you know, articulation or if the client has a voice disorder that you're working on or, you know, something else that's billable, then of course, licensure you are impacted by licensure and you're limited by licensure.
0: Okay. Okay. So um, I imagine your suggestion would be to anyone reaching out or or having clients reach out to them from out of state is check out those rules before you start.
1: Yes. And make sure that you're just working on accent modification. You know, like I said, if it it turns out the client also has say, a S distortion and you're suddenly doing articulation as well, then of course, you know, your licensure, you are limited by your licensure. Um, A lot of SLPs or a lot of terminology that people across professions will use is, you know, accent coach or dialect coach or speech coach or speaking coach. Okay.
0: Okay. So if you are um, billing and presenting yourself um, as a coach, then things would be different. So um, what about someone um, who you mentioned the S distortion um, and that might be part of their native language. Um, what about someone who doesn't have an R or doesn't, doesn't have a phoneme in their native language that is in English and you're working on that directly? So does does that veer into SLP territory versus a speech coach?
1: Not always because, you know, just because a sound isn't in someone's language doesn't mean that they're not simulable for it. So, you know, a lot of times we'll model the sound, you know, elicit it and the client, you know, can pick it up right away versus if it's a true distortion or, you know, substitution, something that you would actually work on with articulation. And you can, you can usually tell the difference, you know, as an SLP, we can usually tell the difference if it's just um, their phonemic repertoire versus, you know, a speech sound issue.
0: Okay. Okay. Excellent. Okay. All right. Um, So now insurance doesn't necessarily pay, but do you have some uh corporations or um hospitals that will actually pay for their clients with accent modification because it is um beneficial for their um position mm-hmm. communicating um in whatever position they are in that organization
1: yeah sometimes companies will pay either for individual services or even workshops i've had a few you know want to do workshops for Seventeen people at once, or with the med school that we worked with, you know that was covered as well. So sometimes you will have that option. Not always, I would say. For the most part, the clients are private pay, so that's when they, you know, only want a handful of sessions uh, for themselves. But yeah, sometimes you have the employer, or you know, they might have some sort of continuing education funds that the client can access, or um, you know, sometimes even um, like as tax write offs, you know, for the professional development side.
0: Okay. All right. Um, and can you talk a little bit about liability insurance? Um, if you were an SLP working, um, in accent modification as an SLP, you would need liability insurance, but if you're billing yourself as a speech coach, um, would you still need the liability insurance?
1: Well, it would be whatever you would have underneath your LLC. So if you have some sort of umbrella policy, it should be um, within that. I don't know too much else about the nitty gritty though.
0: Hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. And so the number of sessions, uh, of course, you said you're in a different situation because you're in an academic setting, um, but in your private practice, typically how many sessions do people come for?
1: About four. Um, I see a lot of people do group packages for four, eight, and twelve. You know, I do think twelve is ideal for a client because you know, you're when you're first starting out, you know, they're just starting to train their ear and and hear the differences, and then develop goals, and then you know, they'll start to get on a roll, and then if they only have four, six, or eight sessions, then they're done. Um, But I would say, in my experience, most of the clients like to be done by four sessions.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, and then do you, um, send them with worksheet, not necessarily worksheets, but, you know, different, um, practice modules or, um, do you send them online after that or, or after four sessions or, or most of those clients kind of finished?
1: Yeah. I think a lot of times, you know, they're kind of finished. They might, um, (coughs) focus there's apps. There's a lot of apps out there. There's a lot of YouTube channels, you know, so they might try to do things on their own once they have figured out, you know, some of the terminology, some of that ear training, what are the things that they want to focus on. Um, I do have a lot of clients who are very self-motivated. And they'll, even in my university setting, I've had several come to me saying, you know, oh, a year ago, somebody mentioned that I can't say the S sound. So I just taught myself.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. All right, well, I want to remind our participants that um, you are more than welcome to ask questions of Carrie. You can put it in the chat or the Q&A box, and I just want to check that. Um, We do um, have someone who said, uh, nope, that is not a question. Um, Okay, here's a question. You mentioned a site for corporate speech pathology.
1: So it's C-O-R-S-P-A-N. I believe it's corespan.org. This stands for the Corporate Speech Pathology Network,
0: and that is a network of speech pathologists. It's not necessarily a network of corporations seeking the services. It's it's, it's an SLP network. Is
1: yes, just to confirm yes. that. Yeah, okay. so SLPs who do what they call corporate speech pathology. So the professional speaking, accent modification, dialect coaching.
0: Okay. Excellent. All right. Well, any other questions you could put them in the chat and, um, Carrie, do you have any other suggestions to SLPs seeking to gain expertise in this field?
1: Just, you know, read as much as you can about it, watch as many YouTube channels or videos as you can and just have fun, you know, make it fun. It's really very, um, humbling and rewarding to, Learn from your clients and, you know, learn their stories. What brought them here to the U S or what are their goals and how did they develop those goals? And, um, you know, it's, it's very motivating to see everything that they've gone through. And yeah, it's, it's really fun. So just have fun and enjoy.
0: Great advice. Okay. Speaking of clients, can you tell us, I know you've worked with so many, so this is probably going to be hard to choose just one, Um, but one or two, can you tell us about some of your favorite success stories being HIPAA compliant? Of course.
1: Yeah, it's hard, hard to narrow down. Um, But, you know, rarely in sessions do we get a chance to to really learn, you know, a client's entire background, and so when they do get a chance, or they, or they share, you know, a lot of times they'll follow up an email and and go on and on. But just to learn about some of the hardships that they've overcome, you know, what they left behind in their native country, or what they postponed, what they put on hold to come to the U.S. for, you know, another degree, or to work for a few years and, and gain new skills, and then move back to their native country, it's it's just absolutely amazing what they're able to put on hold and then think about, you know, you'll hear some of their stories and you're like, well, I guess we'll work on intonation now.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it doesn't seem that important anymore, does it? When you hear exactly. some of those stories. Yeah.
1: yeah. But, you know, they're just so motivated. And um, when you get that heartfelt thank, thank you, you know, as, as you do with any of your clients, it just is a reminder of why you do what you do and that what you're doing really is impacting somebody positively.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Um, so can you think of like, like one example of that?
1: So I do have one client, she's been with me for several years. She's a native Spanish speaker. And um, recently, she did share a little bit more about her story. You know, when she first moved here, sometimes it was even hard for her to order at restaurants, you know, they was loud, it's a very loud environment anyway. But you know, she felt like, she was having a hard time, you know, even just expressing herself for something that she thought would be so simple. And, you know, she ended up pointing to the menu and, you know, it impacted her confidence at work as well. And so she found um, my courses through the community college where I did some workshops and she brought all of her colleagues with her. And, you know, she most recently just sent the nicest email about, you know, she wished that, she found this earlier. She said, this is everything that she's wanted since she's learned a second language. And she really wished that she had found these services sooner. And she's very grateful for everything that she's learned. And, you know, she's really learned so much about, you know, not just English, but other languages and the sounds and how they're produced and things that might be different versus similar and, you know, how to monitor herself outside of sessions. And, um, also, you know, how far she's come professionally. So with this new confidence, she's, you know, it's really impacted her professionally and she feels like, you know, she's, she's better understood at work and she's taken more seriously. Um, and just feels like, you know, things at work are a little bit more easy for her now.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh Um, And can you also tell us a little bit, I know you're working on a, a lot of different projects. Um, you've mentioned the book. Um, can you talk about some of the other projects you're working on?
1: Yeah. So I just started a TikTok channel. Um, I use the name Global Speechy. Uh, it's part of my website, globalspeechtherapy.com. But I'm on Instagram and TikTok and Teachers Pay Teachers under Global Speechy. And i um, it's, it's a lot of fun. It can be nerve wracking as well, but I'm working on, you know, recording 60 seconds to three minutes of video. And I try to focus on, you know, one topic per video on TikTok. And I like to do some challenges as well. So polling people, seeing where they're from, seeing how they pronounce a certain word, um, you know, or ducking about the different vowels in English or the top five words in English and you know how those are often pronounced. So I'm trying to have a lot of fun with it.
0: (laughs) Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. So is your target audience for the TikTok? Um, is it other speech language pathologists? Or is it non native speakers or or a little bit of both?
1: So I'm still trying to figure out which direction. Um, my heart is definitely for other professions who are getting into accent modification. But I do find a lot of would be clients are really interested in the material as well. So right now, it's a little bit of both. We'll see which direction it goes in.
0: Okay. Okay. That's great. Um, when did you start that?
1: Um, I believe a month ago.
0: Oh, so it's brand new, hot off the press. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's great. Um, all right. Well, anything else that you, any, any other projects that you're working on? Um, I, I'm just curious because I think a lot of, I'm asking you the question, but then I'm asking you another one. <laughs> um, I don't think, a lot, well, I'll just go back to when I was in graduate school, we didn't have the opportunity for accent modification. So I think it's really great that you have that, um, offer that to your, um, students during graduate school or even maybe undergraduate school. Um, how, how do they get, I'm sure not everyone in the program is able to do accent modification though. So how, how does that work?
1: Our grad students, so at our program, yeah. they rotate, we have six tracks. And so they actually do rotate through the, it's called the accent modification and public speaking track. So actually all the students, by the time they go off campus, have had at least one client. and they Oh, that's great. Yeah. I mean, they yeah. totally tell me they love it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Are there a lot of other programs that offer accent modification as, as part of the graduate student
1: experience? Not that I know of. Um, I've heard of a few that might have a client here or there, um, a few that, you know, might have an actual program, but as far as I know, I don't think there's too many. I think most of them are in major cities where you have, you know, more of an international or a higher number of international, um, populations. So like DC, um, you know, large cities in California, New York. Okay. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Um, All right. And most of the other um, accent modification therapists out there are they that you've met in the last five years? um, Are they people who started like right after graduate school or who met met accent modification later in their career?
1: Um, I found for the most part, a lot of them find it later on, like me, you know, they worked in many settings, or they still work in, you know, some settings, and they might. Do, a lot of people do end up only seeing a handful of clients, so it's not a full-time business for them. But they see some on the side. Um, I have met a few people that you know kind of found speech pathology through accent modifications. Maybe they started out teaching English, or they were a linguistic, or they were a linguist, and mm-hmm. then that brought them over into speech language pathology. But they still primarily do the accent modification piece.
0: Okay. Okay. Interesting. Um, And in our chat, um, we have someone who said that they just um, began following you on Instagram. (laughs)
1: Awesome. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Um, Okay. And now we have another person who says, thanks. This was great info. And now I'm, and I'm now interested in working with these clients where I never really was drawn to this before. I have some friends I can begin with. So, oh, that's so great to hear.
1: Good. Yeah. Enjoy. Jump in. Okay. It's really cool. It's it's really fascinating, and you'll learn so much.
0: Absolutely, and I'm excited to uh, learn more about the other course that you're offering on speechtherapypd.com. Um, okay, so recently, this is another person who says, recently had an ARTIC client who worked vocalic R, but the student also needed modeling for his accent. So... All right. Well, that kind of brings us to the end. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we go?
1: Um, Not that I can think of, but I had a great time.
0: Well, I had a great time having you. Um, there is another um, in the chat and um, there is another question, but I'm just going to, we can add, answer that in a second. For other people who need to drop off now, I just want to remind everyone Um, that if you are taking this uh, for live credits for your state licensure, be sure to log into your speechtherapypd.com account by the end of the day today and um, complete all the course modules. So thank you very much. And if you have to drop off, please do. We have one more question for Carrie. And anyone else who wants to ask another question, we can take those. Um, Okay, so this person said... Our university was affiliated with a medical school and a medical center who had students and physicians who wanted accent modifications. So our grad program saw those students and professionals.
1: And, you know, that's another way that you can get started if you can, you know, be associated with a local university in your area or even just reaching out to programs that have a lot of international students or even just reaching out to a university that has a large international student program and starting to um, offer your services that way. Um, Starting with workshops is always a little bit easier than one-on-one. People find it's just more affordable and and they're a little bit more open to it. So that could be another way to, to find clients.
0: Well, thank you. Excellent advice. Okay. Well, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun and we look forward to seeing
1: you again soon. Awesome. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks. Take care. Thanks for joining us here at Keys for SLPs, providing keys to open new doors to better serve our clients throughout the lifespan. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs for this episode and more. Thanks for your positive reviews and support. I would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe. Keep up the good work.